Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, where we continue our series, The Unseen Hand of God in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be turning our Bibles to Genesis 37, verses 1 to 11, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Early Days of Suffering. It's often quite hard to see the reason for our own suffering. Look, I know, we can see the immediate reason for a lot of suffering. You know, it was cancer. I shouldn't have flirted with that woman. It destroyed my marriage and my family. Or if if that driver behind me had been paying attention, I wouldn't be suffering with a spinal cord injury. I mean, those are the immediate reasons for suffering, and all of us can pinpoint the immediate reasons only too easily. But it's the greater questions of meaning that often haunts the human soul. I mean, why has this come to be? This has changed my life, and I know that a God who is sovereign has allowed this to occur. It's hard for many of us to know how to put these things into perspective. I have long loved the words that come from Hebrews chapter 5, 7 to 8. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, watch this, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You know, some of us are surprised that these words are in the Bible. I mean, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God means, at least to some of us, that Jesus shouldn't have had to learn obedience. I mean, wasn't he always perfect? But look, learning obedience doesn't mean that Jesus failed in his obedience. Here's an example. You know, years ago, I took an extensive course in motorcycle safety, which included a section dealing with accident avoidance. So I learned all I could. That didn't mean I failed. I've not had an accident. I haven't, but I did learn how to avoid them. And that is, there is a process of learning information and assimilating it and then knowing how to practice that information in a wide variety of settings. Learning entails that. And we all know it takes time. Jesus, who was fully human, learned obedience. Although he never sinned, he, as man, learned the commands of his Father. He assimilated them, and then he practiced those commands in a wide variety of settings. And says Hebrews, suffering was his teacher. It is the means that God used to help the Son assimilate the lessons of obedience. Now, there is for all of us something to be learned from this. Does it seem strange to you that suffering is God's tool to teach us to obey his commands? Well, the Bible affirms that. And as we study the life of Joseph, we're going to see how it is that Joseph was trained in the school of suffering. In essence, that will become our theme as we study Joseph. He's a man who suffered and a man who was perfected in it. And from that, we're going to try to learn our own lessons. Look, I do know that suffering can and does cause some people to doubt the goodness of God. You know, in this study, we'll have to examine all those effects and we'll have to learn how to build faith in God throughout the days of our own suffering, but I don't wish to get ahead of myself. We've started a study in the life of Joseph, and so if if you got your Bible, join with me in reading Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhan Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. See, our text begins with a simple statement. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. And there's a promise connected to this verse. It was given first to his grandfather. This land would eventually be given to Abraham and to his family after him. And so Jacob lived in the land. And even though there were many others living there, and even though his family had, had not yet become a great nation, yet they lived right there. They lived in anticipation that one day all of this would be given to them. Then, says our text, these are the generations of Jacob, or I suppose we could restate that. This is the account of Jacob's family line. This is the story of Jacob's family. It's an important line because if you're familiar with the storyline of Genesis, this is the family that will bless the earth. This is the family through whom the Messiah will come. This is the family that holds a treasure. They're loved by God. And the great creator has promised to use all of his great inexhaustible resources for their benefit. But of course, there's something in this story that interests all of us. And it's because God has promised that this family is the only source of salvation to the whole earth. And so the sentence, these are the generations of Jacob, well, it makes the astute Bible reader sit up. This is how God would bring forgiveness and reconciliation. This is how God would break the curse of sin and death and suffering. Here is God's answer to human rebellion. And as we get ready for a glorious story, we are then taken from the account of the 12 sons of Jacob to the account of just one of those sons. He is the second youngest in the bunch. He's Joseph. But of course, if you know the end of the story, this man, Joseph, well, he's going to save his family from famine and much more. He will save his entire region of the world, the Middle East, from famine. This man, Joseph, will become a great savior. But let's not jump ahead of ourselves yet. It's important to remember who this young man, Joseph, will become, but it's also important to know that there's a reason for concentrating on him. See, for a while, the story of the Bible is going to center on his story. His life is going to become especially important. And our text says that Joseph was 17 and that he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. So if you know our story, Bilhah and Zilpah were two secondary wives of Joseph's father. Each of them had two sons, and so we know that our account mentions four young men, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In essence, we find that Joseph, because of his age, is the assistant to these four much older half-brothers. And our text says that in the course of being underlings of his four brothers, he then goes to his father and brings them a bad report about these four. And the Hebrew uses the word diva. 
And that word's quite precise. It means that Jacob told his dad something that was intended to bring a slant, a way of seeing what his brothers did in order to bring them harm, to damage their reputation in the eyes of their father. Now, this is going to become very important because as we're going to see in just a little while, Joseph is dad's favorite. He will listen to him first before he listens to anyone else. And of course, the rest of the brothers know that. Stop for a moment and imagine that. You know, some Bible teachers want to say that that Joseph is simply being righteous here. See, whatever the four were doing, well, it just needed to be exposed. I mean, maybe he's a snitch, but he's a good one. The four were in the wrong, and Jacob, their father, would want to know what they were up to. Joseph is just being honest. He's he's a righteous young man. You know, perhaps that is exactly the case, but I, for myself, as I read this text, I'm just not fully convinced. You know, Proverbs 12, 23 says that the prudent conceals knowledge. There is a time to speak. You know, there's also a time just to remain silent. And I think Joseph might have used that privilege. But Joseph is only 17 years of age, and he doesn't seem prudent to me, at least not yet. And even though we, you know, we don't have the details about what these four brothers did, Moses, who wrote this account so many years later, and in the very next line, tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. And so there's no doubt at all who dad would listen to, and there's no doubt at all that by telling whatever he did, it would bring disruption to the family. And here we come upon the first of many problems that this family will have. It's called favoritism. And this principle of favoring one child over the other, well, it it had deep roots in Jacob's family. Abraham, by God's command, had favored Isaac over his older son, Ishmael. And then Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, fought over who should be favored of their two boys, Jacob or Esau. And then in the third generation, the oldest, a guy by the name of Reuben, committed a terrible sin, and his father didn't favor him. And so now in the third generation, favoritism, well, it's like gasoline just waiting for a spark. It's going to cause an explosion. Psalms of the Seasons is our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada scripture calendar. And it reminds us of so many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of this creation and the beauty of God's Word. A uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Newfeld is placed within the calendar, encouraging each of us to open up our Bibles every day. This is a practice and discipline critical to creating a steadfast foundation for faith. Use your calendar as a reminder to engage in the Bible every day and use the Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 2020. This resource is filled with encouragement and it's yours for free. Just ask. Simply request your copy today and perhaps consider a gracious gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Either way, call us for your free calendar at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.com. I know it's easy for us to blame Jacob for favoring his son Joseph. I mean, after all, you know, Joseph was born to his favorite wife. And the rest, with the exception of Benjamin, well, they were all born to wives. He never really wanted them in the first place. You know, it's Jacob and not Joseph who's to be blamed here. 
but he did set up Joseph for failure. At 17, Joseph didn't yet have the wisdom to know what to do with his favored position. He seems to have had no difficulty in criticizing his brothers. He didn't know how to handle it well. And so I think we have reason to blame Joseph for unwise words to his father. We know that he did have other options. He might have appealed to his brothers, and, well, maybe he did. Maybe they were unresponsive. And then he might have used discretion in how he talked with his father. See, I say that because the minute he tells his father, well, according to this account, the whole family knows immediately. And at any rate, from the perspective of the brothers, you know, daddy's favorite is also a tattletale. And they, in turn, well, they see him with unbridled hatred. Well, now here's God's chosen family and all is not well. They don't look like the source of blessing to the world. They're a family consumed by jealousy and hatred and jockeying for positions of power. It's a mess. Is God in this at all? Well, the story of four brothers who hate Joseph is just the introduction to the story. Next, our translation says that their father made Joseph a coat of many colors. That's a Hebrew word. The word is pasim. It's a difficult word to translate. A great many Bible scholars question the translation, coat of many colors. They think it refers to something else. You know, that word is used in just one other place in the Bible. That's 2 Samuel 13, verse 18. And in that passage, Tamar, who is the daughter of King David, is described, at least in our Bible translation, as wearing a long robe with sleeves, just like all the daughters of the king had. So what is this coat? Well, it could be a coat of many colors, or it could be a coat with long sleeves, and in truth, we actually don't know. We don't actually know what the precise meaning of the Hebrew word pasim actually is. But here's what we do know. We know that none of Joseph's brothers had a coat like that. And furthermore, we also know that this kind of a coat was given to royalty. That is, the coat symbolizes that in Jacob's eyes, Joseph is going to be the leader in the family, even though he's the second youngest of 12. And from what we read, I think that Joseph just assumed he was the family leader. Dad had told him so, and he simply assumed that identity. Well, given that Reuben was the oldest, that was a direct insult on his oldest son. And furthermore, given the culture of that day in which the oldest son was expected to lead the family, I mean, this was just bound to create a family crisis. And of course, as we're going to see tomorrow, it does. But the dysfunction is about to get worse. Joseph is going to act unwisely again. And this time, it seems that God himself sets Joseph up for his failure. See, Joseph has a dream, and in those days, dreams were considered to have a prophetic element attached to them. Now, we need some time to think about that. You see, we live in a post-Freudian world. Sigmund Freud believed that dreams represented a projection of the unconscious or an extension of what he called the subconscious. That is, we might seek to repress some things in our subconscious mind, but when we dream, said Freud, we leak out those things we wish to suppress. So dreams tell us something about who we are. They tell us about ourselves. Most North Americans think about dreams in that way. But the ancients didn't think that way. They thought that dreams came not from the subconscious, but from the spiritual realm. Dreams open the door to the spiritual realm, and even though they might not understand what a dream meant, It did tell them a lot about, well, the world of God and of angels and of the great unseen realms of spiritual evil. See, here's an example of what I'm talking about. 
In Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, a passage about false prophets, it begins with the words, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises. See, prophets often relayed what they dreamt. Or listen to Jeremiah 23, verse 25. Here Jeremiah says, I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. You know, that's to say, just because you've dreamed, says Jeremiah, you shouldn't assume that the dream is from God. Dreams can come from other sources as well. The spiritual realm is sometimes an evil realm. And nevertheless, dreams were not discounted. They they were taken quite seriously in the ancient world. So I want you to notice that this is not the first time that, that in Genesis, someone has a dream. Back in Genesis 20, God comes to Abimelech, a pagan king, and he reveals to him that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife, and and he's not to touch her. And in Genesis 31, God comes to Laban in a dream and warns him not to harm Jacob. And indeed, earlier, Jacob himself had a dream in which he saw a staircase reaching from heaven to earth. See, Genesis does contain dreams, and dreams can come from God. But again, as I've said, that doesn't presuppose that all dreams come from God. And here when Joseph has his first dream in which he and his brothers are binding sheaf and he sees his brother's sheaves are bowing down to him. See, at this point, we're not told if the dream is from God or not. And furthermore, Joseph has a choice. Should he tell the dream or should he keep it to himself? I think all of us know that there are times to speak and there are times when we shouldn't. See, here's an example. In Daniel 7, Daniel is given a vision of four great beasts representing four kings that are going to arise in the future. And then Daniel sees to the end of the age when the kingdom of God arrives. And after the vision is done, well, listen to Daniel 7:28. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. That is, I didn't speak about it. That is, until I knew what to do with this matter. But at this time, and remember, Joseph, well, he's still very young. He doesn't have that kind of wisdom. Instead of searching the matter out, he immediately tells his brothers. And of course, given that he already has received a cloak that no one else has received, and given that he's already been complaining to his dad about his brothers, and given that he was already hated, well, the dream hardly made him popular. But of course, that's not the end of it. We don't know how long after that, but it it couldn't have been very long. Well, he has a second dream. And this time, the dream is even more dramatic than the first time. Uh, This time, it's the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. Well, clearly, the 11 stars are his 11 brothers. And the sun and the moon, well, what can that refer to other than his father and the mother of his brothers? And of course, Joseph has no discretion. He immediately shares his dream as well. And if we go forward to Genesis 41, we're going to find that Pharaoh has a dream. Uh, No, he has two dreams. And as Joseph in the future will interpret the dream to him, he says, and here I'm reading Genesis 41, verse 32, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. That is, when a dream is repeated twice, God himself is signaling that the matter is determined. It's going to come to pass. See, it may be that the brothers of Joseph and Jacob himself understood that that that's exactly what Joseph was communicating. They're going to bow down to him, and no matter how hard they try to avoid it, This is the destiny that God has prepared for the family. This family is going to bow to Joseph. (laughs) Stop and consider that. Even though that text doesn't say that God gave Joseph this dream, you know, as we continue to read Genesis, it becomes very clear that it was God who gave Joseph that dream. 
And we, if we think about that, might wonder, I mean, given what appears to be, you know, Joseph's lack of wisdom in sharing this stuff, I mean, why in the world would God reveal this matter to Joseph at this time? See, God knows that Joseph, well, he won't shut up about it, and and God knows how badly his brothers will react. And you might wonder if God is just setting Joseph up for a terrible fall. Yeah, perhaps, but, but Joseph will have so much to learn in the school of suffering before he's ready to follow God fully. God has a plan for Joseph, and that plan can only be accomplished if suffering will help him to learn to be obedient. Now, does that hearten you? (laughs) I hope it does. You see, for a Christian, suffering is never punishment. I mean, how can it be? Christ was punished on our behalf. It's always wrong to believe that a Christian suffers because of their own sin. No, no. Christ suffered for our sin. We no longer suffer for our sins. It was accomplished for us. However, suffering is never bad luck. Suffering is always God's tool to prepare us for the best possible future and for God's glory. So our task in suffering is to be like Jesus and learn to be trained in it. That's what God has in mind for Joseph. And as we learn his life, I hope that we're going to be hardened by his example to apply it to our own lives. John, it would seem like with stories like this, there's a lot of stock held in the dreams that Joseph had. Now, can we carry that same stock in our dreams? What are the dreams all about? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, the Bible doesn't you know, have a chapter on what to do with dreams, although that would be a nice chapter, I think. However, there are little hints that we get. I mean, we obviously have Joseph's dreams. We have, later on, we'll have Daniel's dreams. Uh, there is the, uh, the statement that comes to us from the book of Joel, which is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost that your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Um, Clearly, um, there are more than one occasion in the Bible where dreams are seen as coming from the realm of God. However, we need to also recognize that uh, dreams can come from other sources as well. And so we do well to know our Bibles well. And when we should dream a dream, we need uh, some time um, to assess the, the, the value of that dream. And so (laughs) that's my answer. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our series, The Unseen Hand of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Tom said, what Dr. John says makes so much sense and he's opened my understanding of the Bible. Thanks, Tom. Your words of encouragement mean more to us than you might know. This October, we're giving thanks to our Savior for His provision and blessing in the lives of our listeners. There's so much being accomplished through Dr. John Newfeld and the Back to the Bible Canada team. And recently, a group of ministry partners graciously provided a cumulative ministry pledge gift of $50,000. Now listen, this gift has allowed us to participate in a donation match where every dollar you give this month will be matched up to $50,000, allowing us to continue to change lives through the truth of God's Word. So to match your donation today, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us at backtothebible.ca.